Hello, folks. This is Nolan Ruby, and welcome back. This is the On Being Christian podcast. I am your host. I'm also the pastor of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, which is the church where the On Being Christian podcast is a ministry out of. I'm so glad you chose to listen today. I'm hoping that this is helpful to you. You can reach me at um, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com, W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. There's a drop-down menu. You can listen to the On Being Christian podcast right from off of that website. You can also send me an email, which is uh, my direct email here at the office, and the office phone number is also on that website. And then if you're in the greater Salt Lake City area, uh, the times and location of our church services is also available on there. So what a wonderful opportunity. I appreciate it. I want to talk to you today about something that um, th- this message was put together probably four or five years ago. Um, I was dealing with some own things within my own life, and the Lord led me to um, the perception of reasoning or the context, the conception, if you will, of reasoning. What does reasoning mean? Where does that come from? Am I reasoning from the right places? I was led to Luke chapter 5, and that's exactly what I want to share with you today. If if there is a title to these things, uh, the title of this would be, What Reason Ye in Your Hearts, which is a question directly quoted from Luke chapter 5. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, look at this. Luke chapter 5, if I start in verse 17 and I go down through verse 26, we see our story here. The Bible says, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's key there. And behold, men brought in a bed, excuse me, and behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up to the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether is whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that wherein he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And so let's talk about this a little bit. I want you to keep in mind as we go through this section of Scripture here in in, uh, the Gospel of Luke, the question that Jesus Christ asks them, which is, what reason ye in your hearts? And this is a fair question, and you're going to find that if you live for a long enough period of time, you're going to be confronted with things 
from the Bible that caused you to start to compare and weigh and balance concepts. And you might find that through the Word of God and through your prayer to God, you might find this question being asked, what are you reasoning in your heart? And the the answer to that question, or how you understand how God knows what you're even reasoning in your heart, leads to whether or not this will be successful or a or ultimately an endeavor that fails. All right. So just by way of introduction, I want to show you something here. If you look at chapter 17 through 20, verse 17 says the phrase, the power of the Lord was present. Now, I want you to understand something when you are reading your Bible, when you are in a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ soundly, you are in a place where the power of the Lord is present to heal. Verse 17 literally says that at the very end, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So healing or lack of healing, rather, is not a result of the fact that healing wasn't available. The lack of healing is the result of the fact that I didn't accept it. Okay, so that's the first thing just by way of introduction. When you are dealing with God's word, when you are in a church that's preaching the doctrine of the word of God, the sound word of God, the power of the Lord is there to heal. It's not a matter of whether that's not there. The, the, the question, the greater question is, what am I reasoning in my heart? Am I, am I there to accept that or am I there to reason my way out of that? Okay, verse 20, you'll see the phrase, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So there we see the power of God's definitely there. Sins are being forgiven. Uh, the Bible clearly says healing is available. And so that's the just something to keep in mind as we get involved in this. If you want to compare this story to other forms of the gospel, and I'll reference them as we go through here, you find the, fa- the same story in Matthew chapter 9, 1 through 8, and also in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. Matthew 9, 1 through 8, Mark 2, 1 through 12. You'll find this same story. I've got three things that I'd like to point out concerning the context of this story. And so without getting too far into it, let's just look at this first one. The reasoning begins. Now, often when we are in church and we are hearing the word of God be preached, or when we are in the word of God and we come across something that challenges something in our life, challenges a perception or a way in which we do things, it's often met within our own hearts with reasoning. We begin to reason it. We begin to uh, turn it around and, and look at it. So Luke chapter 5, verse 21 says, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. The same story found in Matthew 9, verse 3 says that they said within themselves. Same story again found in Mark chapter 2, verse 6. The verse there says they were reasoning in their hearts. The word reasoning is simply a word that uh, means to reckon thoroughly, to deliberate. Uh, it's where we get the word dialogue. Um, it's it's to cast in the mind. In other words, to roll it, cast it, look at every aspect of a situation uh, in the mind, to consider and dispute and muse and think on something. It's like a reflection or a discussion on a topic. And so when Jesus Christ began to do the things that Jesus Christ did throughout his entire three-and-a-half-year ministry, the Bible says the power of God was there 
And we see that it was there because he said that he was healing people. And when all of this was happening, the power of God on display, it was met by certain sections of people with, quote-unquote, reasoning, mind consideration, disputing, thinking, deliberating, uh, reckoning thoroughly. But these are the things we, we, as humans, we tend to take the things that God says and we weigh them inside our own hearts. We, we turn them around. We consider them. We're trying to decide if I can get the healing. Sometimes this is what we're trying to decide. If we can get the healing without totally committing to the Lord. Can I have my cake and can I eat it too type of idea? Can I come away with the, the privilege of this and not quite accept the full responsibility of this? And that's what the Bible says these men were doing. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? They immediately said, Whoa, 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 you're crossing lines here. Nobody can do these things that you're doing except for God. Now, they, they were right. They're 100% right. The thing that they don't understand is that Jesus Christ is God. Emmanuel, God with us. Once they once you accept the divinity of Jesus Christ, a lot of reasoning inside your own heart just gives way to yielding towards the doctrine of the word of God. But anyway, that's what they were struggling with. If we jump over to Isaiah, we can see some more ideas about this reasoning. I'll go to Isaiah chapter 8. And then in verse 10, the Bible says, Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. Now, we're jumping into the middle of a, a story here, obviously. But the thing I want you to understand here is that these men who were reasoning in their own hearts against God, the Bible says, go ahead, take counsel together. When we, when you and I, this is one of the frustrations, if I might say, that I have with the greater form of religion, whichever one it might be, is that we think that if we get enough men together, we can vote the Bible into not meaning what it means. And Isaiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, take counsel together, take your counsel, do your things if it's against the doctrine of the word of God, it's just, if it's against God's word, it doesn't matter what our counsel arrives to. Back in the early days of Christianity, we used to have these, these councils would form as religion became a denominationally, a denominationally controlled entity. There was people who would have these councils, and you can go back, the councils of Trent, so on and so forth, and men would get together and through the vast wisdom of their tiny little minds, they would determine what the Bible means and what it doesn't mean. And they would put things into place based off of a majority vote. And they would say, okay, well, that's what this means then, because we've all decided. We've taken counsel. And the Bible says in Isaiah, take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand I want you to understand something, folks. You and I, when our words go against the word of God, it doesn't mean anything. 
when our concepts, when our ideas go against the doctrine of the Word of God, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. It doesn't matter how many of us we get together. It doesn't matter how big our denominational control is. It doesn't matter how brilliant the minds we bring to the table. When we go against the Word of God, all of our counsel, all of our words that go against the Bible, they don't mean anything. And that's what Jesus Christ was saying to the scribes. He said, uh, what do you, what do you, what's going on here? I'll get to that point. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. The point I want you to see right away is when Jesus Christ was doing things that only Jesus Christ could do, we have the, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason. They begin to uh, say within themselves. That's always where it starts, by the way. Listen, when the Word of God is preached and made public, uh, if you're going to resist it, that resistance starts within your own heart first. Either I'm going to accept what the Bible says and its responsibility and authority over my life, or I'm going to reject that. If I reject that, it's, it's, it's been done, but it's less common to just say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I have my own way of doing things. Now, there are people that say that, but not often within Christian circles. What we do is we try to manipulate what the Bible says, whether we just change it, flat out change what the Bible says, or we argue about original meaning and concept, and this is getting into the preservation and inspiration of the Word of God, and that's a topic for a different time, but this is often what we do. Our kids do it to parents. When the parent says, don't do this, we will get, I remember being a kid, I would get as close as I possibly could to the line, and then I would think of reasons why that line didn't apply to certain situations that I wanted to do, and I would very articulately plead my case, but that all started with the reasoning within myself. Okay, Jesus Christ had power, and that power was healing people. And when people began to be healed, it offended the Pharisees. They began to reason in their hearts. They began to manipulate the situation. They're looking for something that makes this make sense the way they want it to make sense, because Jesus Christ is God, but they can't accept that. So they said, well, the only one who has this power is God. Well, they're right, but Jesus Christ is God, but they're not going to accept that. So we have to find out in what other way does this man's power make sense. And so they're reasoning inside their own hearts. Job chapter 5, there's another concept I want to show you here. Job chapter 5, 12 through 13 says this, he despised. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh away in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the forward is carried headlong. I like that verse. He says he, he, he disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprises. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And the counsel of the foreword is carried headlong. That word headlong just simply means it's it falls. It's, uh, it's top down. It falls over. It doesn't stand. And so you understand from the perspective of the Bible, when the reasoning begins, the Bible says human reasoning doesn't last. It doesn't matter. You can get your counsels together. You can get your your committees together. You can vote on things. You can make your decisions. But your decisions, if they're contrary to the Bible, 
They don't affect the Bible. As Christians, this is what you and I need to remember. The Bible should always have the right to affect our lives. Not that it should have it, but that it does. It's, It's an objective truth. Whether we accept it or not, it does. Do you understand that? We can't get enough people to vote the Bible out of saying what it says. We can't get enough committees to change enough language of the Bible to make it less authoritative over our lives. We can chop it up. We can give different versions of it. We can come away from it thinking, well, I've cleaned it up and it now fits my purposes. But you don't really have the Bible then, do you? You just have some version of a letter you wrote to yourself that makes you feel good about the things you were going to do anyway. The Bible means more than that. And so when when the power of God is on display and the power of God starts to have results, usually within the human mind, within the human heart, the reasoning begins. We begin to balance this. Do I believe this? Do I accept this? Uh, We start to weigh the consequences of disobeying. We don't really want to disobey, so we're going to change the meaning to allow me to do what I was going to do anyway, but now I've rubber stamped the authority of God's word on it. The Bible says that counsel, that reasoning, that craftiness, it all falls. It'll all fall down. If I jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible has an interesting verse here. 1 Corinthians 3, 19, the Bible says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And so we have 1 Corinthians chapter 3, literally quoting Job chapter 5. We have the Old, the New Testament quoting the Old Testament. We have, in other words, you have Paul quoting Job. And he says, it's written. These things that we come up with, they don't last. They don't last. The wisdom of the world, the Bible says, it's foolishness. The way that we reason in our hearts, the concepts that make sense to us, the Word of God says, listen, I understand what you're doing, but that's not going to be beneficial to you. There's two identical verses in the book of Proverbs that lead us to accept this as a reality, and it just simply says there is a way that seemeth right in the eyes of a man, in the rest of the ways of death. There's a way that seemeth right in the eyes of a man, and the ways thereof are the ends of are the ends thereof are the ways of death. That's 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 our ends. We can look at something and come away 100% convinced that we are 100% right. And according to the word of God, we can be 100% wrong. And so the reasoning begins when the power of God is on display, when the Lord goes to doing the things that only the Lord can do, you and I, people, humanity, we begin to reason. We begin to uh pause and and contemplate and machinate, if you will, and, and move these things around. We have all these types of questions. The second thing that happens is Christ confronts our reasoning. So we begin to reason in our hearts, and then we see that Christ confronts the reasoning. Back to our text in Luke chapter 5, 22 through 24, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say rise up and walk, but they excuse me, but that ye may know 
that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, go into thine house. So you see, the reasoning begins, number one, and then number two, Christ, who is very faithful in this way, confronts our reasoning. He directly confronts the things that we're reasoning in our hearts. And so you see the same thing, Matthew chapter 9, 4 through 6, you see this phrase, Jesus said, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts. Mark chapter 2, 8 through 11, same context, he says, why reason ye these things in your hearts? What reason ye in your hearts, Luke 5? So Christ confronts our reasoning. He uses the word perceived. He perceived. If we if we go to Luke chapter 5, 22, Jesus perceived their thoughts. Perceived is the word that means to know upon some mark. That is to recognize by implication to become fully acquainted with, to acknowledge. So when we begin to reason in our hearts, Jesus Christ is fully comprehensive, fully aware. He acknowledges which just means he sees that which is there, what we're doing, and he confronts it. He confronts it within our own selves. Why does he do this? The Bible says when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said unto them, and it goes on, and it says that he knew, knowing their thoughts. Knowing just simply means to be aware of and to behold, to understand and compare. And so you have this reasoning beginning within humanity, And then you have Jesus Christ confronting the reasoning. He says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you fighting me on this? (laughs) Can you imagine? And this is often what the preacher gets accused of, even though the preacher doesn't have the power to do this. You come to church, you sit down, the Word of God is opened, and the service begins. And I've been there, and I've had people tell me this, that I was doing this. You were preaching right at me. I always say, listen, the preacher's not that powerful. The preacher doesn't have that type of knowledge. But the Word of God does. The Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing and or dividing asunder. Okay? And so we have the Word of God being opened, and this in this instance, we literally have Jesus Christ, who has the power to heal, healing. People don't like it. They begin to reason in their hearts, and Jesus Christ confronts their reasoning because they're trying to figure out how who they how someone is doing the things that they know God can do, but they don't accept that Jesus Christ is God. And so they're trying to find how 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 does this work? Okay. The idea being the Lord knew exactly where the scribes and the Pharisees were in their own hearts and minds. And instead of going softer because of them, he went harder. Jesus literally broke conversation with the Pharisees mid-phrase to tell the forgiven man to get up and walk. Did you see that? Verse 24, he says, but, but that ye know, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, but that ye know that the Son of Man, that's himself, hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And so there's a lot in that phrase. What did he just say to them? I'm, what I'm going to do next is so that you know who I am, because you know that God can do this. And they said that. No man can do this but God. He said, correct. So watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to do what only God can do. And according to your own acknowledgement of what the Word of God says, who does that make me? And that made them so mad, because they knew 
This is what God does. But we hate that this Jesus Christ is God. We're not going to accept that. So verse 24, uh, but they, uh, excuse me, what reason ye in your hearts, he said, verse 22, verse 23, whether is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk? He said, which one of you, which you think one's easier than the other? You think it's easier to heal a man's body than it is to heal a man's soul? And then verse 24, but that ye know that the son of man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And then he broke conversation and shifted his focus to the, uh, the, he said, under the sick of the palsy. He broke conversation with the Pharisees. He said, listen, what I'm about to do, I'm going to do so that you know who I am. And then he did it mid-sentence. He said to the man of palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch, go into thine house. And what happened? The man did it. Immediately. Immediately he did it. We'll get into that in a minute. Part I want you to notice is that now they've got a decision to make. You see, they began to reason in their hearts. They began to contemplate and to roll these things around in their mind. They began to reckon and deliberate and, and reflect and discuss. How is this possible? And it's all happening inside their own selves. And before it, be, before it even had the potential to become something that they discussed openly, Jesus confronted it while it was yet inside their own hearts and minds. And he said, what reason ye in your hearts? Why do you think that this is easier for me to do one thing than the other? They didn't like that. And so Jesus goes on to literally heal a man in front of them, flat out heal him. So you see in verse 20, the Bible says, and when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So this is one of those instances within the gospel that Jesus Christ forgave a man's sins before he healed his body. There's other instances where he healed and then forgave. But this is one where he forgave the man's sins. Why was he doing this? Because the way in which he did it allowed him to confront the reasoning of the Pharisees, the reasoning that was taking place in their own hearts. They started to begin to think in their hearts, nobody can forgive sin but God. And Jesus answered that, you're right. You know what else God can do? He can heal the body and watch what I'm about to do. And he healed their body. And the Pharisees, this just blew their mind. Like, we don't know what to do with this. Isn't that often the case? When Jesus Christ reaches into your life and shows you things, it's been said, truth demands action. Once I hear the truth, I can't pretend like I didn't hear it. Once I've heard the gospel, I can't go any part of the rest of my life as being someone who didn't hear the gospel. Being exposed to the truth demands action. I can deny it or I can accept it, but I have to make a choice. I can't pretend like I don't know. And that's what Jesus Christ will do with the Word of God inside your own heart. He will make you very, very aware that after the truth is revealed, I've got to have to make a choice. I'm going to accept Christ or I'm going to deny him. No, it doesn't matter how I deny him. I can get together and vote him out of my life. I can get a bunch of other people that agree with me that this doesn't apply, and I can make myself feel better by attaching temporary human opinion to things that humans don't understand, the eternal nature of God. I can do all that, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. There's a story of a man once 
if I remember the story right, he decided that the theory of relativity, no, no, no. He decided the theory of gravity was just exactly that. It was gravity, and that he did not believe in it. And he went around and he became a proponent of his rejection of the theory of gravity. And this was, you're thinking, this is ridiculous. I know, but bear with me. So one day someone said, listen, if you truly believe that gravity has no authority over your life, let's see that. And so this man, with all of the best intentions in the world, totally convinced that gravity did not exist, walked on top of the 12-story building, and in light of all the world, he went by faith to prove his point. Gravity does not exist, and I'll you watch me show you. Totally convinced. He was 100% convinced that it did not exist, and he stepped off in great faith and rapidly descended to his death. Why? Because the lack of faith in objective reality doesn't dismiss the objective reality's authority over your life. Just because I don't believe in gravity doesn't mean it doesn't have any power over my life. And just because you dismiss God and don't believe in him or believe in his word or reject it or don't like parts of it doesn't mean that it doesn't have any authority over your life because it does. And it is authoritative and it will have authority. And on a long enough timeline, you and I, folks, we will stand before the God who wrote this word and we will answer for the parts that we dismissed. He will confront it. He is confronting it in his word and through the preaching of the word of God. Let's look at the third thing. So number one, the reasoning begins. Number two, Christ confronts our reasoning. And number three, number three, the two responses to the confronting of Christ. So there's two possible responses that we can have when Christ confronts us. The first one is found in Luke chapter five and verse 25. It simply says here, and immediately he rose up before them and took up that wherein he lay and departed to his house, glorifying God. So what's the first response? Instant obedience. That's the first response. He said, get up and walk. The man did. There was no questions. There was no reasoning. Well, I can't walk, Lord. I don't have that power to walk. I'm, I have the palsy. Nope. He just got up and walked because he had faith in what the Lord said he could do. And the Lord did it. And the man did it. And there we go. Obedience to the word of God. That's the first response to when Christ confronts your reasoning. The second response is found in the very next verse, verse 26. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. That unfortunately is the more common response. Jesus Christ does things that only Jesus Christ can do. And instead of obeying, we just simply say, oh, that was weird. That was weird. Did you see that? That was weird. That was strange. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> you see the same thing, Matthew chapter 9, verse 7. He arose and departed. Matthew 9, verse 8. They marveled. Mark 2, verse 12. Immediately he arose. Mark 2.12, they were all amazed. Marveled here is a word that means to wonder, to admire, or have admiration toward. Amazed is a word that means to be put out of wit, to, to be astounded 
uh, to be beside yourself, bewitched with wonder. Sometimes the Lord will do things, and it is a wonder. But if that's all it ever is to you, it doesn't really have any power over your life. You don't allow it to be applied to your life, then I'm rejecting it. I'm rejecting it. I think I've told you this story before, but there's a story of a man named Clifford Calvary. And he wanted to come up with a way to show the world the difference between belief and faith. And this particular guy, this is a true story to my knowledge, he was an acrobat, and he had stretched a rope across Niagara Falls. And one day he began to walk across that rope. And uh, it wasn't very long before uh, that he, excuse me, very long after he started doing this, that word got out that there was a man walking the tightrope across Niagara Falls, and people began to show up to see the spectacle. Once a pretty good crowd showed up, this man took it up a notch, and he started pushing a wheelbarrow across the tightrope, which was stretched out across Niagara Falls. And wow, this really got a reaction. And after he had done this for a while, the crowd continued to grow. He approached a man one day. He walked across the tightrope. He was pushing his wheelbarrow, and he pushed his wheelbarrow right up to one man. He said, do you believe I can do it again? The man said, yes, I do. I do. I believe you can do it again. Because he wanted to see a show. He wanted to marvel. And so Clifford did it again. And he came back. He went to that same man. He said, do you believe I can do it again? Well, Clifford hadn't gotten tired of seeing it, I'm sure. And so he said, yes, I believe. I, I believe you can do it again. Let's do it. And so he did it. Pushed it all the way across. But this went on for three, four, five times. The sixth time, Clifford came back to that same man, said, do you have faith I can do it again? That man said, yes, I do. I have faith. And Clifford said, good. Get in the wheelbarrow then. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Clifford said, well, what's wrong? You have faith, don't you? Well, I believe you can do it. Right, but do you have faith? Do you have the faith that would allow you to put your life in my hands? Well, that's a different story. Yes, it is. It is indeed. Most of Christianity, Christianity today likes the idea of God. They believe in him, but the Bible says the devils believe, and they tremble. So what's the difference between belief and faith? Well, the reasoning that you and I are doing in our hearts, we'll get confronted by God. And how we respond to that confrontation will tell us whether or not we believe or whether we have faith. If we just believe, then we'll walk away marveled. And we'll say what the Pharisees said, we have seen strange things today. And it'll be something that marks a point in their life. They'll tell their children, I once watched a man make a guy with palsy walk. He lowered him down on a couch through the roof, and boy, he walked out of there, and it's a marvelous story, and it's great, and it's... but it doesn't have any effect over their life. It didn't change anything. It didn't cause them to yield. It was just a show. It was just a, uh, an event. 
Mm. But when you have faith, everything changes. You stop just saying, well, that was strange. And you start standing up and walking. You start to allow God to heal you. And I'm talking spiritually, give you a totally new life. The Bible says in Corinthians, old things are passed away. All things are become new when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The idea being, you see, it is not enough to be just an admirer of Christ and what he has done for you. You must obey Christ. It is not enough to speak. Your speaking must be followed by your action. Oh, we all admire Christ. You know, we all have these little sayings, Christ is my hero. Oh, he's, I love him so much. Okay, that's fine. I get it. He is my hero, and I do love him. But I love him because he first loved me. And I'm not just an admirer of Christ. I'm a follower. Admirers sit in the stands, and they watch the show. Followers get in the arena, and they go step for step. That's what being a Christian is all about, being Christ-like. It's not a noun. It's not something that you get to decide what it means. It's a verb. It means a follower of Christ, according to how Christ said he must be followed, not according to how we reason in our hearts. See, Christianity has become this thing where I get to define what it looks like. I get to put it within a set of parameters that works for my life. That's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is about being wholly and completely sold out for the cause of Christ. Christ doesn't need to be sold. Christ needs to have you sold out for the cause of him. It's a personal relationship. And so when Christ shows up, the power of God shows up with him. And you can either accept that power or you can just admire it. And we have a story here of people who admired the power, but then we also have a story of here who's someone who accepted it, and he was forgiven of his sins and walked out of the place that he was lowered down into because he couldn't walk. And so you see throughout this context of this story, the reasoning begins, and then Christ confronts our reasoning. There's a great section of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 1, Go over there. Isaiah chapter 1. I want you to understand something. Christ is not afraid of our reasoning. He will confront it. He's not not intimidated by that. But he does become heartbroken when we decide that it's our reasoning that we listen to more than his. Isaiah chapter 1, 16 through 20. Look what the Bible says here. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient... Ye shall eat the good of the land, but if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You see, understand, the Lord's not afraid of our reasoning. He says, come, tell me where you're at. But it's not because he doesn't know where you're at. (laughs) He just wants you to hear it, because he's going to confront it. He's going to show you through his word 
why what we naturally are is not acceptable to him. You understand, folks, I can have a relationship with God because of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ came to forgive me of my sins so that I might be accepted, hidden in him by the power of his blood, I can have a relationship with God the Father. It's impossible without Jesus. And so Jesus isn't afraid of what we reason in our hearts, but he will confront it. And when he does, we have a choice to make. We either reject his reasoning and cling to ours, though it would be hard to totally reject him, which is why they all said, we've seen strange things today. You see, they became admirers. But being an admirer is not enough. We must also be followers. And the very first step that you take in the Christian walk is to go to the Lord and by faith and repentance ask for forgiveness of your sins and give your life and heart and soul and mind to him with total and complete faith in what the Bible says and a decision that through the power and grace of God, I will let the Lord be the Lord of my life. That's salvation. Acceptance of Jesus Christ and repentance of self. That's salvation. Anything less than that is just self-reasoning. The Bible says that's not enough. That's not enough. The Bible gives us lots of examples through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, of people who were so admired. They were so smitten with who Jesus Christ was. They loved the show that he put on. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see the lame walk. They wanted to see the blind see. They wanted to see how he made the deaf to hear. They wanted to see all these things. There was no way to describe it. There was no way to reject his power, but they didn't want to obey. That's where Christianity is today, in my opinion, in many ways. We are all admirers of Jesus Christ, but we don't often allow him to confront the aspects of ourselves that are not acceptable. We live in a society that says, follow your heart and be who you are. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked and who can know it? Who we are is in desperate need of a savior. That savior's name is Jesus Christ. It's not enough to admire him. We must allow his love to change us. We must love him and follow him and be totally committed to him. We must let his reasoning be more powerful in our own self than our own reasoning. We must pursue him with abandonment of all other things. That is what a Christian is. Anything short of that is just someone who admires Christ. And let's just face it, why would you not admire him? The world admires Christ. There's lots of people that I admire who couldn't save my soul. There's lots of men that I look up to as role models who had no power to pull me out of eternal separation from God. There's lots of women in my life who taught me a lot of things, patience, work ethic, kindness, apathy, or not apathy, sympathy, excuse me, <laughs> sympathy. I love them. I cherish the memory of them, but they didn't have the power to save me. There are men that I've never met, and I've read their histories, I've read their stories, and oh, I admire them. I admire Abraham Lincoln. I've read all about him. General Patton, I've read all about him. Some of the poets and, 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 and writers, one of my favorite poets is uh, 
Longfellow and to, to go through and read what he had gone through and read some of the stories that Hemingway wrote and the commitment that he had to life and the excitement that Roosevelt brought to life. These men, wonderful examples. I am an admirer, no question about it, but I don't follow them. I follow Christ. Until you become a follower and not just an admirer, then that's all you are. The Bible says, well, how do you do that? Well, number one, you're going to reason in your heart. That's natural. It's going to happen. Number two, God's going to confront that reasoning. And when he does, you have two responses. I either accept the truth of the doctrine of the word of God or I reject it. The very, the very most important truth of the Word of God is simply the phrase, "Ye must be born again. That is, that's where it starts. You must be born again. I must accept Christ as my Savior. If I've never done that, then I am an, an admirer at best. And until I become a follower, in accordance with what the Bible says a follower is, then I, I, I don't have it. I don't have it. This has been a... Broadcast of the On Being Christian podcast. I appreciate you listening. If you have any questions, like I said, you can get a hold of me at the website of the church here, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. I've had several people say, what's well, a weird name? If you're not uh, local to the area here, the Wasatch is the mountain range that runs the Greater Salt Lake Valley. Beautiful mountain range. And then uh, the Wasatch Front is a term that's pretty common around the area for different businesses and things. And so when I came to the area and named the church, I very much wanted to have a very local name, people that understood that it was a local church. And so it stuck. WasatchFrontBaptistChurch.com is where you can get a hold of me, my email and address. Uh, phone number is directly on there. This is, uh, a, I think, a 37th podcast, I believe. Let me just check real quick. You can go back and get the archived versions of the podcast. We just finished... Um, the series on Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. That was an eight-part series. Um, and if you go all the way back to the very first podcast, it's simply my testimony. It's entitled, But God Loved Me. But God Loved Me. I've done a couple interviews. Some of them have not aired yet. A couple of them have. Um, my goal is to have more of those down the road. So as we get ready to go into the fall, I'm looking forward to it very much. I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll be all done, and I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Bible, for its meaning in our lives, for its power and authority in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to walk worthy of these things just by simply listening, loving, obeying, and being reverent of you, Father, that we wouldn't be just admirers, but that would be followers, uh, obeyers. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thanks so much. I'll talk to you next time.